Welcome to Living Freely Podcast, where our mission is to provide you with down-to-earth topics on mental wellness and realistic tips for living life more balanced and achieving optimal mental health. Living Freely is brought to you by Norfolk Public Libraries in Virginia and hosted by myself, Rachel Ann Dine, licensed professional counselor and passionate about providing you with strategies and up-to-date information on mental health. Join in weekly for a brand new episode of Living Freely, helping you live well and be well one podcast episode at a time. Hi, and welcome back to Living Freely Podcast. I am so glad that you're here today with me because I'm talking about a subject that has affected many different people, and you may actually be a little bit surprised to know that there actually was a body of research done in 2020 that shared and actually demonstrated that up to 82% of people face feelings of imposter phenomenon, struggling with the sense they haven't earned what they've achieved and are a fraud. And this came from the Journal of General Internal Medicine found on the American Psychological Association website. So a little stat to get us kicked off for this episode, because if you've ever felt that you haven't fully earned what it is you have, or maybe you struggle with feeling like a fraud or struggle with feeling insecure in your day-to-day life, then I am here to break down exactly what imposter syndrome is, talk a little bit about what it means to be insecure, the different types of insecurity, and then of course, I'm going to round it out with how to overcome and how to cope with imposter syndrome. So I'm very excited to get started today. Like I said, that number was very startling. So 82% of people they found in that particular study struggled with feeling like a fraud. So you may be wondering, what exactly is imposter syndrome? And you may have never heard that terminology before. It's a relatively new term, new phenomenon. Well, not new phenomenon necessarily. Imposter syndrome has probably been around for ever. But in terms of actually characterizing it, the name is new-ish and actually came about in the 1970s and was coined by psychologist Susanna Imes and Pauline Rose Clance. So when the concept of imposter syndrome was introduced, Believe it or not, it was originally thought to apply mostly to very high-achieving women. However, since then, it has been recognized as much more widely experienced across any gender, any socioeconomic status, any race, any culture, and has been really shown to be a prevalent part of being in the workforce, being a parent, being a caregiver to an ill family member. I mean, these scenarios I could continue to share about when imposter syndrome and feeling insecure, feeling like a fraud pops up are pretty endless. So imposter syndrome refers to an internal experience of believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. 
And this is according to verywellmind.com. I will, of course, link this article in the show notes because it is a great encapsulation of exactly what IS is and gives some definitions and then some coping strategies as well. But they share that while this definition is usually narrowly applied to intelligence and achievement, it also has links to perfectionism and the social context. So again, it's not only applied to feeling inferior in terms of intellect or not feeling as if you have achieved as much as you should, although that absolutely does go into imposter syndrome. But imposter syndrome, or IS for short, you may hear me refer to it throughout this episode, also has been linked to folks who struggle with perfectionism or potentially even have a little touch of social anxiety or difficulty with being in social contexts or social groups. Imposter syndrome, as I've shared, really is at the crux of it is the experience of feeling like a phony. So you feel that almost at any moment, you are going to be found out as a fraud, as if you don't belong in a certain place, you don't belong in a certain position of power, in a certain career, and you only got there through sheer luck. It is such Uh, an excellent way of, and I say excellent in terms of negatively excellent way of putting your own skills and abilities down and defaulting or blaming or putting the responsibility that the only reason that you got there was because you were lucky. Instead of fully believing and knowing that you didn't get somewhere through sheer luck. There must have been some series of hard work or knowledge or skills that you demonstrated to get where you are. And so as I shared, imposter syndrome can definitely affect anyone, no matter what your social status is what job positions you've held in the past, what skill levels you've had, or degrees that you hold. It is across the board in any setting. And what it really means to me and what I've always viewed imposter syndrome is, is a form of insecurity. And so when we start to get into what exactly is insecurity, At its root, and this definition comes from webmd.com, insecurity is a feeling of inadequacy, not being good enough, and experiencing uncertainty. Insecurity often has a result of producing anxiety, whether it's about your relationships, your abilities, your skills, your knowledge, your goals, the way that you're living your life, and so forth and so on. If you have ever struggled with feeling insecure or you know someone who has struggled with insecurity, then you know that it is like a little spider web that can just just seep its way into all aspects of life. And before you know it, you're kind of left questioning, do, you know, am I really bringing enough to the table? Am I good enough? Am I doing enough? And so forth and so on. It really can start to wreak a lot of mental havoc, if you will. 
We know, though, the truth of it is everyone deals with insecurity from time to time. But of course, there are those different levels of insecurity. At its worst, insecurity can be paralyzing. Insecurity can really be linked to fear, fear of the unknown, fear of failure, and it can really hold a person back. At its slightest, insecurity may pop up and manifest itself in the form of anxiety and feeling anxious about putting on a presentation at work and feeling just that little touch of insecurity. Am I going to know what I am talking about today? Will people believe me? But at its core, it definitely can appear in all areas of life and even come from a variety of different causes. When we experience a traumatic event or there have been some difficult previous experiences that you have gone through in your life, or there's even been some really intense social conditioning or some messages that were received by family of origin or growing up, previous abusive relationships, or even toxic environments in the workplace, in your school setting, or even from your home can be ways that insecurity really comes to fruition and if not careful, can become an ingrained part of a person's thinking. And if you think about it, this is the same with low self-esteem. So much of these, so many of these concepts are tied together in so many different ways. And when we think about having low self-esteem, feeling insecure, for example, you may have grown up in a home where you were not encouraged. Uh, Your parents maybe used shame to try to elicit behavioral change, which we know using shame, shaming someone into taking action does not work. And it actually has many negative effects that can, can stem and stay for the long haul. Or maybe you received some really negative comments from a teacher or were bullied or whatever the case could be. And then as a result, self-esteem becomes low. And unfortunately, in your adult life, it can become really easy to continue to seek out what feels familiar. And this could be friendships, romantic relationships, even if they are not the healthiest, then, you know, it can still come about because that is what you're used to. It becomes your norm to be treated in that particular way. And so I never want anyone to, if you're listening and you think, oh my gosh, is this what I'm doing? I have done this. I never want you to feel badly about yourself because the messages that we receive, the environments that we have existed in throughout our childhood, teenage years, adult years, has the propensity to really affect a person and the choices that we make. If this resonates with you, this is always a great starting point to even jump off a therapeutic journey. And I'm sure at least in every episode, one time or another, I'm going to make a reference to going to therapy because I just feel like that is a safe place to air out concerns and then even start to 
explore. Because as you know, this particular podcast is not to be taken in lieu of professional therapy. There is only so much that can be done and and uh, learned about yourself from listening to a podcast. And the real work I was about to say the real magic, but therapy isn't always magic. Um, but the real work can be done in that therapeutic setting. So I have to put a plug out there for therapy. So when we think about insecurity, and then this will kind of lead us back into some more definitions of imposter syndrome, insecurity can also stem when we feel an instability in our lives. I always put it out there like this, and this is the example I give to so many people. You can be fine and you can be feeling decent, feeling good about yourself, and then something happens in life that comes in and knocks you off balance. And if not careful, let's say that it's a breakup or your spouse says, I'm I'm leaving you, I want a divorce, or you and your child get into an argument and it comes out of nowhere. If, if that intact level of security and self is not there, then these events that happen can really cause that insecurity to surface and bloom and even grow in some cases. And so I definitely am a big advocate of increasing a sense of self, increasing your sense of security in who you are, understanding who you are and what you bring to the table and learning to work through imposter syndrome or feeling like a fraud because we all know that life is hard and life can come in and really bring about some unpredictable twists and turns. Some very sad things can happen, difficult, traumatic, toxic. We are certainly living in a world where there's a lot of unhappiness and it can be very easy if somebody is unkind to you for you to take that on and, and blame yourself or or that insecurity can surface and I never want you to cultivate that insecurity. Instead, I want you to have the tools and resources to be able to recognize, okay, wait a second. I'm, I know who I am. I know what my intentions are. I know that I did not actively try to hurt anyone else and just trust yourself and trust that you are making the best choices that you can for yourself and trying to be kind to yourself and others. Excuse me. So when we look at the types of insecurity, as I shared initially, there are so many different kinds of insecurity. And when that insecurity first surfaces, of course, it can bleed into other aspects, but just hitting some high points, one of the biggest forms of insecurity is, of course, relationship insecurity. And this can go back into a person's attachment styles and whether or not you have a secure attachment, an anxious attachment, an avoidant attachment. I did a full podcast episode on this, on Living Freely. I believe it was last season. So if that is something you want to dive a little bit more deeply into to understand, well, what is my attachment style? Then I highly recommend that episode. But Relationship insecurity and feeling insecure within your partnership is 100% a huge source of 
insecurity that can arise. Then we've also got job insecurity. And this is when you maybe feel anxious about continued employment or the security of your job future. And this can really be ruptured if you work in a company that's ever evolving, if you work in an industry that is greatly affected by the economy, then it is going to be very normal to experience job insecurity. And in fact, it's very quote unquote normal to experience insecurity in general. It's when it becomes paralyzing or the negative, the self-talk becomes so negative and then the fear pops up and it holds you back from taking action, that that's when insecurity really can become a negative part of of life. So we've got relationship insecurity, job insecurity, and then of course, body image insecurity. And I have to mention this because it is common and many people feel insecure about how they present, how they look, and they even question whether they measure up to the societal ideal of beauty and which is often imposed on us by the images that we see. And that could be a completely different rabbit trail of talking about the capitalistic beauty industry and how they put out these images of what we are supposed to look like and Although it's gotten better and they've started to use different people that look differently and aren't that stereotypical tall, thin woman, it, it's still – there are still a ways to go and they put the images out there and then if you don't – and they make the promises that if you buy our product, then you can look like this. Well, you may buy the product. You still don't look like that because that's not your natural body type. And boom, you you continue to buy the product to hopefully look that way. Definitely oversimplifying that process, but I have to mention it because we often are at the mercy of what we are being advertised. And this is a huge source of where body image insecurity comes from. So there, people of all body types, though, can experience body image insecurity, no matter what your, your figure looks like or your body type is. And then last but not least, there can be social insecurity and anxiety. And this is basically feeling concern or feeling self-doubt that is connected to the way that you are perceived by the people around you, coworkers, friends, peers, and it also goes into play with how easy it feels to you in how you interact with other people. And if you're shy or it's a struggle to interact with other people, then this can definitely be a source of social insecurity coming into play when in actuality, you may do better one-on-one versus in a group or just making those tiny tweaks 
to life that suit your personality. Just because you maybe aren't an extrovert or loud and, you know, super friendly, it doesn't mean that you don't have a place in this world. Just like if you are the person who is loud and likes to be funny and you feel like you're not well received by the group of people you're with, maybe that isn't your group. And because there is room for all of us in this big world and we all contribute in our own ways, but that social insecurity can definitely pop up and it can be a reoccurring either kind of low level type problem or if left untreated or if left un if left ignored it can absolutely blow up into a social phobia or social anxiety disorder and so that's why I'm all about recognizing what your insecurities are. It doesn't mean that you're weak. Um, I can't say it enough that feeling insecure and having these insecurities is honestly a part of life and it's a part of being human. But if you try to ignore it and be perfect or present as if nothing is wrong, then in many ways, this can only make the insecurity grow. So again, if you need that safe place to air out insecurities or just feel heard, I always recommend therapy. And if you don't feel like you can fully be yourself in that interaction with a therapist, then you can try somebody new. And so there's going to be a fit out there for everyone. And I'm a big advocate I mean, I'm the kind of person, if I went to go see a therapist and in in the first session, I didn't really click, I don't think I'd be likely to go back. Some people give that feedback to try a couple more times, but across the board, I mean, this is the logical, pragmatic side in me. Research has found that truly in the first couple of seconds of meeting someone, you can kind of tell if you're going to connect or not. So this is not to dissuade you that if you had kind of a strange first session, it may be, you know, maybe you were nervous. Maybe you felt like you couldn't talk and you want to give it a second try. Of course, go back to that person. So I don't want to dissuade you if you have gone one time and are on the fence You can always give it another try, Um, but at the end of the day, you got to do what feels best for you. That's my main point here. So if we start to move this on back into imposter syndrome, because again, insecurity and imposter syndrome are so closely tied together, some of the common signs of imposter syndrome include an inability to realistically assess, self-evaluate your competence and skills. So if you get feedback from your coworkers or your boss or another parent and they say, gosh, you are a great mom or you are really a hard worker or you you did amazing with that presentation and your first thought is, no, I didn't. It was awful or I really, I'm not good at all. This is a good indication that potentially you are not realistically assessing what your competence and skills are. So I'm not saying to rely on other people's feedback to validate you or invalidate you, but it is a marker that, to be honest, I see pop up quite a bit with folks. Somebody will give them a compliment and their first instinct is to just 
turn it away, to shoo it down, to not give it any credibility because the person feels like they're worth, they didn't do anything despite people telling them that they did such a great job. And so I really, that inability to realistically assess your competence and skills is a part of imposter syndrome rearing its sometimes ugly little head. One of the other signs is attributing, and these are being taken from verywellmind.com, attributing your success to external factors. Now, in some cases, let's be realistic, it may not be you know, what you know, it's kind of who you know, but I feel like for the majority of people, we have to kind of pave our own way. And even if you did get a job because your best friend worked there, they are not going to hire you based upon that relationship with your your best friend. They're going to hire you because you submitted a great resume or you had a stellar interview, whatever the case could be. And so it's really being careful in understanding, am I attributing my success to external factors? This isn't always uh, coinciding with the workplace. Again, this could be If you are, success looks different for everyone. So if you are successful in having a large friend group or you feel like you're a good parent, but you attribute your skills in parenting to and that external factor to you know well my my partner he he or she allows me to be a better a better um parent when give yourself some credit that's that's where this is kind of coming from recognizing the skill set that you have and not attributing your success to the luck or or the external factor okay this next one is big and it's if a common sign of is is berating your performance. I won't belabor this point because this goes into what I was just sharing. But if you walk away from doing something that otherwise you would feel good at, or maybe even somebody did give you feedback and you immediately start beating yourself up or refuse to take a compliment, then this is a little bit of a red flag that we may have some imposter syndrome going on because I know that most people are our own worst critics, but this is not a way to practice self-affirmation and being able to self-validate or self-soothe. It's in a way, it's a form of self-shaming. And so particularly examining your family of origin, or I even think about if you played competitive sports and you had a coach who used a lot of shame to try to elicit behavioral change. It's important to to recognize, are you internalizing that same self-shaming language or the shaming language that was used by someone else? But berating your performance is definitely not a, a key to future success and building yourself up. Okay, a couple more. Um, A characteristic of and a sign of imposter syndrome is a fear that you won't live up to expectations. Now, this one actually plays out in multiple ways. So sometimes the fear can be so strong that you're not going to live up to an expectation or fear that you're going to fail that 
you don't even try. You just say, forget it. It is easier and feels safer for me to miss out on this opportunity because I don't think I can hack it. I don't think I can live up to the expectation. And so many times the expectation is actually self-induced. It's being placed on you by you. And so if this resonates, always recognize when and if you are experiencing a fear that you won't live up to an expectation and then kind of suss out, am I the one placing the expectation on myself or is someone else? So just a little something to keep in mind. So let's move on to just a very quick self-assessment, some questions that you can even ask yourself in the now to better understand whether or not you are struggling with imposter syndrome or have ever struggled with imposter syndrome. Again, this is not a diagnostic self-assessment or questionnaire here, but I just want you to maybe get the wheels turning and see if some of the coping strategies I'm about to share with you would be helpful. And this can be a good gauge. So again, these questions are taken from verywellmind.com. First one is, do you agonize over even the smallest mistakes or flaws in your work? So do you agonize over even the smallest mistakes or flaws in your work? To me, this definitely is reminiscent of being a perfectionist, but it could even be related to people-pleasing and so agonizing about whether or not someone is upset with you or um, whether or not that tiny mistake is really going to make or break your 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 work or what you did or the conversation that you had. So agonizing over even the smallest mistakes or flaws in your work. Okay, number two, do you attribute your success to luck or outside factors? Okay, I've gone over this one a couple times, so I'm going to leave it at that. But do you attribute your success to luck or outside factors? Next, are you very sensitive to even constructive criticism? Are you very sensitive to even constructive criticism? This is also very linked to perfectionism or feeling like you have to perform or feeling like you always have to be on and doing everything right. And one thing I've noticed is that that experience of being very sensitive to even criticism that's constructive. So maybe it's your annual review at work. Maybe you have your child's doctor just provide you with some helpful feedback. Criticism can sometimes be misconstrued as such an ugly word. But if somebody's trying to give you helpful feedback, how do you receive it? And do you let it really affect you or turn it into causing you to feel like you have just royally failed? Then this may be an indication that we've got some imposter syndrome going on. Okay, the next one, to me, this is the crux question of IS, and it is, do you feel like you will inevitably be found out as a phony? Time and time again, when imposter syndrome surfaces, this is the the hallmark of this phenomenon that occurs, is feeling like a fraud. And this can be, even if you have 
multiple degrees or years of experience or have had five kids or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, when you look at the facts of a situation and all these facts line up or you really are a very kind person and most people would would qualify you as a very kind person, but then you are or, or skilled or competent, but then you go and start a new gig, a new job, a, you know, you have another child and you just have this little hanging feeling that, oh my gosh, are are people going to find out I'm just a fraud? I'm just a phony. This is a definite indication that we're dealing with imposter syndrome. Okay. Last question. Do you downplay your own expertise, even in areas where you are genuinely more skilled than others? Okay, very well mind asked it, but I'll I'll support it. There are situations where you may have more knowledge and you 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 may have a, a voice on something that is in line with being more skilled than someone else, but you almost self-silence and and cause yourself not to articulate your own expertise. Instead, it's almost just downplaying your own expertise and even in those areas where you are genuinely more skilled than others. So if these stand out to you, then again, it can be wonderful to meet with a therapist. But I will also share that there are some ways that Before you make that appointment, if you do decide to make one, there are some ways that you can start to address imposter syndrome and reframe it and deal with it head on. And so some of the questions to counterbalance imposter syndrome is to understand and identify what are my core beliefs that I hold about myself. And it's amazing to me because I do a lot of work on Going back to the foundations, uh, going back to the drawing board when I work with folks and just starting from the ground up, what are your core beliefs? Who are you? What is your personality? What are your likes and dislikes? And I do feel like I talked about this in the other episode that just came out, but I also got to bring it up here because so much of the anxieties that we experience, the insecurity that we experience can be because a person is not aligned with who they are. They become so disconnected with what they even like, what they don't like. And this can happen as life goes on. I mean, I don't know about you, but the the more that the years go by, you just see time and time again that life can really throw you some curveballs. And when these curveballs come at you, it is so easy to just get away from, from yourself. So get it back to basics. What core beliefs do you hold about yourself? And then this is where I really have to ask you to be honest. And do you believe that you really are worthy of love? and happiness and success just in this moment? Or do you feel that these things are conditional, that in order to be worthy of love, happiness, and success, you have to do X, Y, and Z first? So this can be a great way to identify self-worth. And if we've got some low self-worth going on, because 
worthiness of love, happiness, and success, and those are just three basic examples I'm throwing out there, you are worthy of those things right in this moment without having to perform or do anything or live up to expectations. To me, having love and loving yourself, loving other people, feeling successful in your own right, whatever that definition of success is, and feeling happy, that is, that's a a basic human right. We all have that right to feel those things. And so if you recognize that you attach being worthy of happiness and success and love to doing things, then we have got to dig a little bit deeper and understand where does that come from and how do I get away from that? How do I just do things that make me happy just to do them? Okay. And then another question that you can always ask yourself is, do I feel I need to be perfect for others to accept me and for others to approve of who I am. This one is key. Imposter syndrome, again, it it really, it does coincide greatly with folks who characterize themselves as high achieving or perfectionistic, but it also can characterize, it can be part of somebody also just struggling with insecurity and low self-esteem. And a lot of times that can be rooted in feeling like you have to be perfect and you have to, again, do X, Y, and Z for others to accept you and approve of you. And to me, this always goes back to that foundation of do you accept yourself? Do you accept yourself? Flaws and all. We all have our flaws. We all have our things that we need to work on. This is a concept that I call our back pocket problems, where it could be being impatient, being prone to anger. And I know I mentioned this one before, but I think this is such an important point to know that your back pocket problem is something that may always exist, but it doesn't make you any less worthy. It just gives you fodder for the mill on how you can continue to work on yourself. Okay. A couple other ways to start to battle imposter syndrome as well as insecurity is Again, we got to talk about it. So talking to folks about, talking to people who you trust about your feelings and sometimes irrational beliefs and erroneous beliefs tend to grow when they're kept in secret. And so, of course, secrets are going to happen in life, but there are certain things that should not be secret. Addiction thrives in secret, but so do negative beliefs of self. It's almost like a deep, dark, you know, dirty little secret that you have about yourself that deep down I feel like a fraud. I feel like a phony. And the very act of releasing that and talking to someone that you trust about that is a wonderful way to unburden yourself and not to put it on somebody else per se. And you can tell the other person, I am not looking for you to fix me. I just have to tell you, I just started, for example, you know, you could, if this applies, I just started a new job and I'm feeling like a fraud. I feel like I'm going to be found out that I don't know what I'm talking about. And if you don't have somebody that you can talk to, this is also where I encourage you to check the facts of a situation. And in the the situation of a job, this is where you look at the facts. Do you have experience? 
do you have knowledge on what it is you're going to be doing with a job? Have you even gone and gotten a degree? Is this something that you've done for years? Or if it's your first job, then it's really recognizing your skills and abilities that you bring to the table, no matter what. It goes into that whole sense of worthiness. I'm worthy of working at this you know, particular place, whatever the case could be. Okay. Another great strategy to busting through imposter syndrome, and this one may sound a little bit unorthodox, but focusing on others and whether it is, you know, noticing that someone seems uncomfortable or nervous or awkward, you know, whether you're in a community group or at the gym in a class or, um, at work and somebody new has joined the group, then you can always bring them into the fold, reach out to other people, connect with other people. This is such a great strategy for helping to even manage symptoms of anxiety, symptoms of depression, just getting out of our own heads. And I know it's hard. I do. And I know it's not going to be the cure-all, but it is a great way to kind of continue to develop a view of the world that is empathetic and, you know, isn't just all about us, which when you're in a, a throes of anxiety, it can feel really scary and feel like everything is going wrong for you. And so when you get to a place though, where you feel like you can reach out and help others, it's always a great, a great task, a great thing to do. And then uh, another way, I'm all about using pragmatic, factual approach. It's also very important in combating this feeling of insecurity, this feeling of imposter syndrome by really being honest in assessing your abilities. It's virtually impossible for all of us to be perfect at everything and to excel at everything, and the world would not be go round the way that it does if we all had the same strengths and weaknesses. And so I encourage you to get familiar with that, get get comfortable with that and own it. Own that you have strengths that you bring to the table that other people don't, just as maybe there are some weaknesses and some blind spots that you have that other people may may not have and they may excel in that area. And if we can really view the world through that lens and not allow yourself to feel threatened if that ever comes up for you, then it's a much more freeing approach to living life. Just to know, you know what? These are the skills I bring. These are maybe my blind spots, my weaknesses, but I can work on them. So I really, really hope that this episode on imposter syndrome has been helpful. Again, it is so common there, you know, like I shared at the very beginning, that stat where up to 82% of people absolutely face feelings of imposter syndrome at some point or another. It affects each and every one of us at any given point. And so if this resonated with you, if you ever notice or just go ahead and own, I do feel insecure, then you're not alone. 
this is definitely a common phenomenon that occurs. And so with this new knowledge, I encourage you from a strategy that I shared, pick out one that maybe feels the most realistic for you to implement. And as always, I will be rooting you on in your personal journey to mental, emotional wellness, and just hope that wherever you are, you are living well and being well, and especially being kind to yourself. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Living Freely Podcast today. As always, the information in this episode is not intended to diagnose or treat. It is highly recommended to find a provider in your area or by going to www.psychologytoday.com to find a therapist in your area. If you have enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to rate and review our podcast, especially on Apple Podcasts, so that we are able to be seen by more people wanting to get information on mental health and wellness. Thanks so much again for tuning in. We'll look forward to seeing you next week for an all new episode. Be well.